it's been a few weeks since uh, we have uh, looked at one of the parables of Jesus. As we do that today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. If you want to plan ahead, it'll also be up on the, uh, up on this, the, the wall there for us as well. Um, have you ever heard the phrase, maybe you've used the phrase, don't get carried away. Now kids, maybe you've heard your parents tell you this. You're playing, maybe you're getting a little wild, and your parents stop you and say, hey, you can have fun, but don't get carried away, right? Usually getting carried away doesn't make much sense to anyone except the person who is carried away. Getting carried away with something is it just isn't really rational, right? It's not the level-headed thing to do. Usually it means letting our emotions get the best of us. Normal people usually look at with either humor or scorn, maybe, on those who get carried away. Unless, of course, you're the person getting carried away, and then it makes perfect sense, right? Today, we're, uh, we're continuing this uh, summer series, the, uh, the, the, the summer of stories. Um, I, I looked up the word parable online uh, to get a definition, because this is all about Jesus' parables, Right, and so um, a parable is something we t- typically uh, read in the Bible. We might call it a story. It's a little different than a story. Um, uh, this is what I found: a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson, as told by Jesus in the Gospels. For instance, the parable of the blind men and the elephant. This is what I found in in the uh, in the dictionary. Not sure I read the parable of Jesus and the, uh, that Jesus told of the blind man and the elephant. Um, maybe we'll get to that one by the end of the summer if I can find it. But a parable is simply a short story that teaches a moral or a spiritual truth. When Jesus told parables, he was describing what it looks like to live for God. And the parable we're going to look at today was told by Jesus at a dinner party where someone got a little carried away. So we're going to read the whole story uh, in the setting of where Jesus told this short parable. Luke 7, beginning in verse 36, it says this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee had invited him, who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said, and here's the story, the parable. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, you see this woman? I came to your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are 
forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The parable here is a relatively short thing in the middle of this story, and it only makes sense in context of the of the entire party, so we're going to look at the party first. Simon is a Pharisee. He's an upstanding citizen in the community. He invited Jesus over for dinner, judging by previous passages in the gospel. Uh, although this was early in Jesus' ministry, we can see that, that the Pharisees have already been giving Jesus a hard time, and they've been accusing him of, of being a, quote, glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus had not been fitting into the mold of who a prophet ought to be, so they were skeptical of him. We find out through the course of this, uh, this story that, that, that Simon had been a less than courteous host. He had not followed the normal Palestinian etiquette for receiving guests. There had been no greeting with a kiss at the door, no washing of the feet from the dusty roads, no freshening up with oil for his head. Uh, it kind of would have been if, uh, like if you had come over for dinner at my house and I didn't open the door for you or even greet you or shake your hand or offer to take your coat or ask you to come in and sit down or even got, offered you anything to eat. Uh, just completely unhospitable. Uh, Simon had not been a gracious host. Dinner parties in those days were a little bit different than what you might have pictured in, in, in your head for uh, dinner parties these days. This dinner was most likely held on a porch or a patio outdoors, open to the street, probably archways and columns separating this house and patio from the, the street and the, uh, what's going on uh, out in the community. Many times there was entertainment at these dinners and uh, maybe music, maybe a juggler or dancers or something like that. Uh, people in the community a lot of times would gather around outside the, uh, on the street to watch, and especially since this famous person, Jesus, was, was there. Uh, I mentioned, I think, uh, one of the parables we looked at uh, uh, last month uh, that, that poor folks would also hang around these dinners because there was a lot of food that was just kind of wasted or, or, or thrown off to the side or would fall to the ground and, and these poor folks might scramble around and, and pick, it up, pick up the leftovers. So it wouldn't have been much of a sh- as much of a shock for them uh, as we might think today if an uninvited woman walked in to the, to the dinner party. But, but it still was, was not something that they would have encouraged, uh, and, uh, and yet in she did walk and she crashed the party. This woman had a less than stellar reputation, and she approached Jesus, the guest of honor. Most scholars think she was uh, probably a prostitute. Her sin uh, seemed to be well known in the community. She carried an alabaster jar, a jar of expensive perfume, uh, perhaps an heirloom, uh, probably worn, uh, worn around her neck, uh, uh, valuable in her trade for sure, and most likely the most expensive thing she owned, maybe even sentimental. But she, she approached Jesus, obviously with a plan to honor him or to anoint him, but then she seemed to get overcome with emotion and she began sobbing. And, and again, I, we need to get ourselves into that situation, which is probably different than what we're picturing, because we're picturing a dinner party, and we've got the dining room table, and we're all pulled up in chairs, and how in the world did this woman get to Jesus' feet? Uh, 
maybe crawled under the table. Is that Jesus? No, that's, oh, I'm looking for Jesus. You know, it, that's not the picture we, we need. She wasn't crawling, because they, were, they weren't sitting on, on chairs with their legs under the table. Uh, they, they, it says Jesus was reclining at the table. It's a low table. They're on cushions or pillows or pads, and uh, their feet are kind of sticking out to the side or out to the back. And uh, so Jesus' feet would have been the first thing that this woman would have encountered. So that's, that's the picture in our heads, and this sinful woman uh, coming up to Jesus encounters him there, and she gets carried away, right? Uh, she's overcome with emotion. She, she falls at Jesus' feet. She's sobbing, and she washes his feet with her tears. Uh, she unbinds her hair and, and dries his feet with her hair, and if that wasn't enough, she begins kissing his feet over and over again, and then pouring this expensive perfume over them. I mean, where do I begin to describe the indecencies that this woman committed right there? First off, a woman in that day was not to approach a gathering of men, especially a gathering of men eating, unless that woman was summoned in order to serve them in some capacity. Also, if a, if a married woman unbound her hair in the presence of, of other men in that day, it was grounds for divorce. Then to touch a man's feet, a prophet no less, and kiss them. I mean, it was just completely unheard of. Uh, this obviously unclean woman uh, touching anyone anywhere would also make them unclean. And, I mean, the list goes on and on. I, I mean, I guess maybe we could uh, equate it to something today, like maybe, maybe if a stripper shows up at uh, the, the next church picnic and she knows me, right? That, this might be the same equivalent, right? Um, Simon thought Jesus must not be the prophet that he claims to be if he doesn't stop this wicked woman from doing these unmentionable things. And then Simon learned the first of several things that night. He learned not to think something if, he, if you don't want Jesus to know it, right? Because Jesus read his mind. Uh, and, uh, and, and he told a parable about two debtors. So that's the party. That's what's going on. That's the context. And then Jesus tells this short little story. Short yet profound. Uh, Two debtors, one owes 50 days wages, the other owes 500 days wages. Neither could pay, so the money lender canceled both of their debts. First off, I think we need to see that these guys, both of these guys were equal in the eyes of the money lender. Neither had any money to pay any of their debt. They, they, They were both in hopeless situations. It was merely academic who was indebted more. If you don't have any money, it doesn't matter whether you owe a month and a half in debt, uh, in your debts, or a year and a half, right? Uh, you can't pay. And so the money lender, it says, forgave their debts. It's, it's the, the, the Greek word charis, which is the word for grace, to show favor, to give cheerfully. Literally, the money lender made a gift of what they owed. He, he forgave their debt, it says. He forgave their debt. In, in essence, he's forgiving their debts by assuming the debt himself, right? He's just gonna, what, what, what we might say, he's just gonna eat that, right? He's, he's, not, gonna, he's, he's, he's not gonna get it. He's, he's, he's not gonna hold them accountable for it. He's going to have to pitch in from his own stash in order to cover that and make it all even. So that's the story. Jesus then asked Simon, well, who's going to love the the moneylender more? And Simon had the obvious answer, the one who was forgiven more. And in that, we see the link between love and forgiveness. Our love for God is in direct correlation with our perception 
of his forgiveness for us. If I see the depth of my sin and the extent of my forgiveness, then I love much and I'll get carried away in expressing my gratitude to God. Jesus draws out the, uh, the contrast here between Simon, the upstanding citizen in the community, and the sinful woman who did all these awful things. And he holds her up as the example. Simon had done the least possible to make Jesus feel welcome, but this woman had gotten carried away in expressing her love and appreciation. Uh, not water to wash his feet, but tears. Not a towel, but her hair. Not oil, but perfume. Not a kiss on the cheek, but kisses on his feet. And the question Jesus asked Simon, I think is, a, is an important one and maybe even a haunting one. He said, do you see this woman? He didn't, he didn't see her. I mean, he saw her, but he didn't, he didn't acknowledge her or the, uh, any worth that she might have. He saw her as a sinner. He saw her as someone to avoid. He saw her past and he held it against her. Jesus saw the woman, he saw her present love and her future potential, not just her past failures. Because her sins were forgiven, this woman rejoiced and loved Jesus with an over-the-top, carried-away kind of love. She had been forgiven much, and so she loved much. How did she know that her sins were forgiven? Jesus told her her sins were forgiven. And, and, uh, and that's great, and we can say, oh, that's a good story, except her story is or can be our story, right? Because God also tells us that we have been forgiven much. Isaiah 118, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. Acts 13, 38 and 39, therefore my brothers and sisters, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Romans 4, 7, and 8, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are those whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Hebrews 8, 12, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We know that we are forgiven by God through his letter to us, the Bible, uh, because over and over and over and over again, he tells us, us you have been forgiven much do you know that are you living like that in your heart are you living with the awareness of just how much God has extended his love and his favor and his grace to you have you truly received his forgiveness because Jesus extends that forgiveness we have to accept it in 1830, there was a man named George Wilson who was arrested for mail, mail theft. The penalty at that time for mail theft was hanging. 
Kind of extreme, but that's what it was, right? And so uh, after, uh, after a little bit of time, President Andrew Jackson actually extended the man a pardon. But the man refused to accept the pardon. The authorities were puzzled, not knowing what to do. Should he be freed or should he be hanged? And they consulted uh, Chief Justice John Marshall, who handed down this decision. John Marshall said, A pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If a pardon is refused, it is no pardon. I think there are two reasons why a person would refuse the pardon or the forgiveness of God. Either you don't realize that you need to be forgiven, or you think your sin is so egregious that you can't be forgiven. Either way, you miss out on the grace of God. Simon couldn't see his need for forgiveness. He thought he was uh, you know, the, uh, kind of in the upper crust of society, and, and why would he need to be Forgiven. The sinful woman was overwhelmed when she realized that despite the depth of her sin, God loved her and forgave her anyway. The presence or absence of love for Jesus in me is directly related to my understanding and experience of God's forgiveness for me. An unforgiven person can treat Jesus with polite formality, but a person... <laughs> A person who knows that they've been forgiven can't help but get carried away. The the irony in this story is that Simon wasn't any different from this sinful woman, right? Uh, Is pride or arrogance or spiritual, spiritual superiority any less sinful than the sins of a prostitute? No, both were sinners, helpless to save themselves, just like the men in Jesus' parable were helpless to pay the debt. Simon could have received forgiveness. The the difference was that the woman saw her own sinfulness and acknowledged her need for forgiveness. Could it be that even in our day and age that a prostitute could be closer to the grace of God than a church member? Could it be that, that those who are acknowledging their sin are one step away, whereas those who may be, may be self-righteous are a lot further away from experiencing the grace of God. When, this, when Jesus said to this woman, your sins are forgiven, we can all, almost hear a collective gasp from the, from the dinner party, maybe even from the crowd gathered around out in the street. But I, I don't think that Jesus or the woman either, either heard or cared. In uttering those words, Jesus was in essence saying, like the money lender, I will pay your debt for you. When Jesus proclaimed her sins forgiven, he had the cross in mind. And when he was on the cross, I believe with all my heart, he had this woman in mind. When Jesus forgives our sin, it's not just some flippant, oh, well, don't worry about it. When Jesus forgives our sin, it's because of what he has done for us on the cross. He is paying our debt for us. Forgiveness is costly. See, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We all are sinners. We cannot be good enough to earn the grace and the favor of God. We have to own that. We have to let that sink in. If we're ever going to experience the abundant grace and favor and forgiveness of God, we have to acknowledge where we are, that we're sinners without that grace. 
Many years ago, uh, there, the, a strange sight was seen at a large downtown church in England. On the first Sunday of the new year, an ex-convict knelt to receive the receive communion, and and uh, just so happened uh, he was uh, kneeling directly beside the judge who had sentenced him uh, seven years prior to seven years in prison. While in prison, this young convict was led to Christ through the church's uh, prison ministry. After church, the judge was walking home with the pastor, and he said, "What a miracle of grace." And the pastor said, you mean that former thief who, who knelt next to you today? And the judge said, no, I was thinking of myself. That young man had nothing but a history of crime behind him. And when he saw Jesus as his savior, he knew there was salvation and hope and, hope and joy for him. He knew how much he needed that help. But the judge said, look at me. I was taught from earliest infancy to live as a gentleman, that my word was to be my bond, that I was to say my prayers, go to church, take communion, and so on. I went to Oxford, earned my degrees, was called to the bar, and eventually became a judge. Pastor, nothing but the grace of God could have caused me to admit that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. Knowing that, owning that need for a Savior is essential in our walk with God. We can't be like Simon and, and not see our need. But in the same breath, as, as you acknowledge your, your uh, a sinful state, you must also recognize God's love for you despite that sin. So much, uh, God loves us so much that he, that Jesus died so that we could be forgiven, so he could pay our debt for us. Knowing both of those things might just lead us to get a little carried away. As, as I think through this passage and th- some of those truths and the experiences we've had uh, this, this past week, the poverty that we've seen, the um, one, one phrase that was mentioned in the conversation I had was that they are, they are poor physically, but they're rich spiritually. And we experienced that in church uh, uh, last Sunday and, and just the uh, openness and honesty and, and uh, uh, crying out to God. And I said, well, Medina is kind of an upper middle class community and, and uh, certainly not experiencing the poverty that, uh, that we're seeing down here. But I, I said, and I've I've recognized it over the years that the needs are here, they're just not on the surface, right? And we want to put up a good front, and we want to, want, to, want to make sure that everybody thinks that we're all, we've got it all together. And not just financially, although that's a big piece of it. We've got to have the right this and the right that and the right this and the right that. That's, that's there. But a lot of times, spiritually, that comes to play as well, right? I, I don't want to admit that I'm a, I'm a mess under the surface, but we're not going to reach the place of accessing the forgiveness and grace of God if we don't acknowledge the mess, right? A lot of addiction issues in, uh, in Martin County where we were. One of the first steps, right? If someone's really going to get clean and move on is to, we, we talk about reaching rock bottom or acknowledging that, that I don't want to do this. Any, I'm going to own this. I've messed things up and I want to turn and go the other way. Spiritually, we have to reach rock bottom. We have to recognize and know that, that without the grace of God, we are nothing. But with the grace of God, we have everything. We are sinners saved by grace, <laughs> undeserved favor, 
God has forgiven us of everything so that we can live for, how can we help but not get carried away in love with him? I love Jesus' last words to this woman. He said, last three words of this entire passage, he tells her, go in peace. Peace, wow. Who's not looking for peace, right? She didn't come in peace. She came in turmoil. She knew she was sinful. Uh, she, she was weeping. She <laughs> broke this jar and, and loosed her. I mean, she's a hot mess, right? Can I say hot mess? I think I've said it twice now, maybe. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that in church or not. But after, after a few minutes with Jesus, she's sent into a life of peace. Peace that comes from knowing your sins are forgiven. 